KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. I'm Mark Mono. This is the Henry George Program, show all about land, policy, and politics. Take the program. Are you aware that there is only one city that owns a railroad, a municipal railroad? It's true, and that city is Cincinnati, Ohio. At least that's the case if they don't sell it. Uh, Cincinnati has announced plans to sell off the Cincinnati Southern Railway. To talk about this decision, why it may be very imprudent, we have on Josh Junker, who is an advocate in transportation and other issues in Cincinnati. So we dive into the history of this, where it stands now, and some thorny and complicated political and legal issues. And we also dive into some uh, related issues in Cincinnati, such as the story of Cincinnati's incomplete never-open subway, and the general challenges of Cincinnati facing off against a very hostile and uh, strange state government. Uh, but without further ado, yeah, let's, uh, let's just get into it. So, uh, Josh, thanks for coming here today. Of course. Glad to be here. Yeah, so on this show, I've been wanting to talk about Cincinnati for a very, very long time. I mean, I've, I've you know, lived there uh, since kindergarten. I've been on the West Coast, but I've, you know, I'm spent a lot of my time back in Cincinnati. Uh, and, you know, I mean, Cincinnati is a, is a, you know, interesting, interesting city. Uh, I mean, so, so Josh, uh, uh, just to start off, explain Cincinnati <laughs> to someone who doesn't okay. know Cincinnati. What, what, what is its deal? So Cincinnati was one of the first cities founded uh, west of the Appalachians. Um, it was the biggest then, inland city. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, there was Pittsburgh, but Pittsburgh didn't really gain prominence until around 1900 when steel came into the picture. But Cincinnati um, was founded around 1800, but like it first was settled in the late 1700s. They kind of chose it across uh, the Licking River. Which um, it got uh, this name called like Losantiville, which meant like across the mouth of a river or something. And it's I don't think it's I don't think it comes from a Native American like some of the sources says. I, I, I believe I believe like it's Losantiville. It's the L stands for licking, and then it's yeah, yeah and then it's just anti. It's on the other side of the L River. You know, is yeah. what I understand. Yeah. So Cincinnati was a really tiny settlement. Um, until, but it grew gradually as a city. I think it got to around 30, 40,000 people by like 1830. What most people don't know is during this time, it was literally just in that valley between like the Mill Creek, uh, Ohio rivers down there. No one could get on the hills yet because <laughs> it's a pain to get up on the hills. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the first thing for people to know Cincinnati. People might think, you know, Midwest, you know, great, like it's, you know, it's like the Great Plains goes over. A lot of places in the Midwest are flat and boring. Cincinnati is more like Pittsburgh insofar as it's a hilly place. You know, it blows Columbus out of the water as far as that goes and everything. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, for the first part, it's the basin, you know, it's just basically everyone's like was just crushed in amazing density because no one could get up on top of these hills you know it's it pretty nuts yes yes um the 1840s was when the, the first wave of immigration started coming into the united states that were really substantial and a lot of them started going to cincinnati because cincinnati became america's first kind of boom town um not in terms of like you know we didn't have gold or anything we were just kind of a place to go to i guess um, and steamboats started rising rapidly as well as a form of transportation. So Cincinnati shot up rapidly uh, from, I think it was around 40,000 uh, de- in 1840 up to like 115,000 in uh, 1850. So it was dramatically growing. 
uh, during that time. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and as through the 19th century, I mean, a lot of people will say, and this would go on, it was like the only American city with a European flavor. I, I, Charles Dickens famously hated America. He said, actually, Cincinnati was pretty nice. Uh, and the whole, the whole story of Cincinnati, I think, you know, really, you know, for most of its history, it's been, this city that has a lot going for it, just shooting itself in the foot and just lacking any sort of ambition or goal or trajectory. Uh, but I think here today we're talking about the what in my mind is the last time the city was bold and actually did the right thing, which was back in the 1870s uh, with the Cincinnati Southern Railway. Uh, so, yes. yeah. So just a uh, well, very, very top level. Uh, I mean, sh- should we start? I-, I was digging into the history of it, uh, but there- it's in the news. So why don't you, uh, you know, jump to the chase and talk about just briefly why it's been in the news in the past uh, past week? Yes, I think it's first important to, to kind of discuss why they were able to build the railway in the first place, and that's because Cincinnati by 1870 was the sixth largest city in the United States, and it was one of the largest inland cities in America. It's very prosperous, had 220,000 people, I believe, in 1870. And most of they had just started annexing outside of the hills during then. But in the basin, it was, I mean, uh, up from 1870 until 1930, it was around 150, 160,000 people lived there. So it's 40,000 people per square mile, yeah. which is just astronomical. So Cincinnati had a lot of wealth start building up because a lot of the pork producers, P&G started entering the picture. Um, all these kind of like big wigs, which Cincinnati still is to an extent controlled by, started being like, hey, let's think of how we can make Cincinnati better. Because by 1870, it was starting to fall behind the growth of St. Louis and Chicago because it did not have a good rail line going into the city that was like known and able to like connect to anything. So the city was like, we don't want to get behind. Um, let's just go ahead and put this before the voters. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so it sounds like there's a lot of anxiety at the time. Like, in some ways, they're rich, but they also have this, like, feeling of loss insofar as St. Louis and especially Chicago blew by them. Uh, and in the past, there's an interesting transportation thing going on. The the canals, which Cincinnati was on the Miami uh, and Erie Canal, right? Uh, but all these were north-south. But then the railroads were all primarily east-west. And they just bypass Cincinnati. So at that point, they realize, okay, we're we're out of we're out of luck here. And they realize that kind of their big chance, like okay, the east west stuff with like the northeast is is handled, but we could basically be the gateway to the south if we can manage this. And they were also anxious because like at the time in the eighteen sixties, eighteen seventies, we were starting to see Louisville possibly be the gateway to the south. They actually connected it and there's a lot fewer challenges. They built a bridge across the Ohio River, which I think was the first in Louisville, the Fink Bridge. And Cincinnati's like got really, really uh just we need something to happen uh here. Uh, and I'll just introduce one challenge, the Ohio Constitution, 1850. I don't know how many times it's been revised, but they said explicitly uh, it is barred for a county, city or township to be a stockholder in a joint uh, stock company or to extend credit to a company. So it's like, OK, we need to make a railroad happen. But the traditional way a city would do it is to you know, leverage a company and say, oh, wait, we can't do this. And they were stuck. Or were they? <laughs> They were not because they lobbied the hell out of the Ohio legislator in the 1860s because they first got this idea around the end of the Civil War. 
eventually the Ferguson Act passed, which essentially gave, which Cincinnati was one of the, I believe, I believe Cleveland was just starting to get to 150,000. Yeah. But none of the other cities uh, in Ohio had more than 150,000 inhabitants. That's one of the but classic tricks. Special- like, oh, any city over blank is just always specifying one specific city. But yeah. And it's basically Cincinnati that they're talking about there. Yeah. Um, and they passed that that essentially allowed a loophole for the city of Cincinnati to go around and say, yeah, they can do this. They can, they would have to fund it through bonds. They'd have to follow all these stipulations of a board and everything. They'd have to operate in transparency. But if they form like a board that oversees it, we are okay with them, you know, building a railway for themselves. Yeah. It's still prohibited. They cannot own part of railway, but they can't own the entire railway, which is really fun. I mean, Edward Ferguson, like super wonk, you know, really good at finding loopholes. Uh, but I mean, I'll say this too. It's good to have an idea, but this uh, kind of thing will become more pressing. He was able to pass enabling legislation to the legislature. You know, it's like, boy, that's nice when you have that kind of power. Uh, but yeah, it, it sailed through in 1869. And at that point, yeah, they're, they're just going to town, uh, I guess, first getting money. They got $10 million in bonds, I believe, out of the gate. But they just started building yes. this thing down at Chattanooga, uh, which was big at the time. And just we're saying it's near Atlanta, you know, so pr- pretty good location. And Chattanooga was a big, like, um, I'm pretty sure Chattanooga had a lot of, like, I don't know, I, I just know they had a lot of industry that was starting to pop up at the time because Atlanta was kind of devastated because of the, you know, <laughs> yeah, that old thing burned down during the Civil War. <laughs> yeah. Like, Chattanooga kind of took its place for a little bit after that where they're like, hey, we didn't really get affected too much. We're just going to build a lot of industry. So building a railroad line, not like, which would take a lot of work. All the way down to Chattanooga, and Chattanooga, of course, is going to be connected to the rest of the South. Yeah, bam. They they did like I think it was like ten or twelve million dollars in bonds. Then they ran into cost overruns. Typical Cincinnati thing. Well, I mean, that's the thing. You have to get out of the gate and get going. They had some clever things. They had some. They actually, even when they're partially done in 1877, they're able to open a a partial passenger rail line. Uh, Cincinnati Southern Railroad. Uh, so yeah, they were able to kind of, kind of keep this revolving thing going. But yeah, I think the bonds were sailing through. But in the end, they built this thing, and it's worth saying. Not only was it the kind of right away, but an incredible feat of engineering. They built uh, the largest truss bridge in, I think, the world at the time over the Ohio. Uh, they built some incredible bridges over gorges and 27 tunnels, which they, they called it the Rat Hole Division because it was just like this incredibly like strange, you know, contours through through uh, Appalachia. And yeah, I mean, it's it. And, you know, after this goes like it's yeah only game in town. You're not going to build a second one <laughs> that, that does all these things. Uh, and next on the on the, the table, I actually I heard this 1880. They announced it and it's like we're done. It was the largest banquet in the U.S. history is what they said at, at Music Hall. So like this is a major, major, major deal. Uh, they leased it out uh, to uh, the Frenchman Frederick Emile de Orlinger. I don't, I don't know exactly in the original French how that's pronounced. Uh, it's pretty funny in Cincinnati now. Like Erlanger, Kentucky is you know strip mall central. You know, ugly, yes. ugly place. But you know, very fancy. Uh, you know, uh, family at the time. A uh, twenty-five year lease, and you know, doing really well out of the gate. Uh, yeah, I mean, as far as like the history or kind of like the releasing, what what else what else is worth you know kind of saying about the history of the of the railway? So, eighteen ninety six, 
almost got sold, was put forward to the public of Cincinnati. I saw that, yeah. It got um it got voted down by the public by five hundred votes. Yeah, it was forty nine point three percent is what I just saw voted yes. voted yes. So and boy, if they did that, they would have lost so, so, so much money over the last hundred and twenty plus years. Yes. And um, I think the, by the time I think the 30s or 40s rolled around, they finally were able to pay off all the bonds of the railroad. So by then, they that railroad was pure income by then. So um, a lot of the municipal projects that Cincinnati came across, I believe the Cincinnati Union Terminal, even though it was privately financed, was backed up in portion by the Cincinnati Southern Railroad, like using that as an asset. To help support some of the municipal stuff. And I believe, too, because it's like this weird municipal trustee board that ran the railway, they were officially, I think, the people who kind of laid the groundwork for the Union Terminal. You know, I think it was not incidentally, that's where the terminal station used to be before they built it was the, you know, southern uh, thing. But yeah, it's, did you, do you happen to catch offhand how much they tried to sell for in 1896? I couldn't find that. I couldn't find that either. Yeah. I mean, I saw it like on their website or whatever. I wish I could find it. But yeah, but like uh, in any case, it is a recurring thing. I'm reading. You read the history and like uh, throughout, it's it, you read about like, to, to jump to something else that happened. You know, something they almost were bold about in Cincinnati is when they tried to build a subway and they did partially build it. But the entire propaganda about it, or kind of just like you know, advertising the public, they said this is going to be our greatest project since the Southern Railway, you know, which is, you know, the, uh, the jewel of Cincinnati's assets. And uh, they were saying at the time, like, it's they got a favorable release, and this really held the city budget up. And over and over again, and just like a th- in the mid-80s, had a more favorable release. It's like, boy, it is really nice when a city is able to enjoy windfalls. And that's what... Yes. Yeah. Yes. The... Uh- if you look at the financial condition of the city, I believe it was not until around the 60s where the where Cincinnati actually started taking on debt. Before then, yeah. they had basically no debt, which is like almost unheard of of any major city in the United States to just basically have no debt. We were able to have both a low tax system, like and even now our taxes are the lowest of any major city in Ohio, yeah. combined with no debt until basically the 60s, which what we get into what another point i want to bring up is i i try to look up the sources for this so this may or may not be wrong but they did use the southern railway and as a support for making bonds to make the expressway system before the interstate highway system came out so we had already planned everything out and had started construction on 75 before even eisenhower signed the interstate highway act yeah so Basically, why we're able to complete our highways and everything so quickly compared to other cities in the country, which kind of sucked in the long run. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. was because we had already funded it and everything. We'd already studied everything. And we that, that's how we were able to get all the highways there. Yeah. I mean, I think it's worth mentioning. It's really in the 20s was this great turning point for Cincinnati going from, I think, a city with a lot of potential to squandering it. And you saw this from both the fact that it's good old, uh, you know, corrupt political machine, the Box Cox machine, able to, you know, operate stuff, get stuff going, was replaced by, you know, kind of the the apex of good government uh, 
I would say losers and Murray season good and then gang who are just maddening. They dissolved the rapid transit board, the commission. Uh, and, you know, really, as you said, even though they were a, a uniquely solvent city, they refused to invest in themselves. And except for uh, this other half of it squandering itself, Alfred Bettman, master planner out of Cincinnati, uh, and he was he defended Euclid decision at the Supreme Court, which, you know, basically made zoning uh, yeah. kosher. And, you know, Cincinnati from an early time said, we're going big on automobiles. Uh, you know, years before Robert Moses was doing anything uh, of, of note, they were kind of, you know, starting their own projects. They uh, like the this- viaducts, we had a lot of viaducts. Yeah. Crap ton of viaducts. I mean, we had the Western Hills Viaduct that was built before the Western Hills Viaduct in 1932 was built. The Hopple Street Viaduct's been around since, like, I think the early 1900s. Like, all this stuff, like the parkways, all those parkways yeah. were built in, like, the early 30s. Yeah, like, I, my head is like, I just, I get so mad reading about this. Because uh, to just say a side note, Cincinnati started building a subway. They ran out of money. They could, like, some various, I mean, I'll we'll get more into the specifics. But it was sitting empty, and they couldn't get the money to finish it. And at the same time, it's like, they could have finished the subway, but instead they built like the 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 viaduct to the columbia or whatever it's like who cares it's a road like i like the fact that you built this stupid road which would have been funded by the feds at the end if they didn't and instead didn't get the subway going it just drives you know drives a person mad to read about these things but yeah that's that's the thing and and they kind of realized they tore down the 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 rapid transit system they built in large part to just build this highway that they've you know been planned for years and years not to mention expressway norwood lateral and parts of the um 71 all were include all norwood lateral was all on cincinnati subway right away so was uh the mill creek expressway north of the tunnels where you can still see them all that was owned by the city like and that's how they're able to build the the highways around there so easily yeah and because I, they're like oh yeah we'll just use them for highways <laughs> exactly this is the the flip side Cincinnati has a beautiful geography but also means there's natural bottlenecks so when you're building something that needs a flat way it's like yeah you have to go around the Mill Creek and you have to cross in the in the Norwood Trow so it's like oh we don't have room for two things let's just demolish this. And yeah, it just it's so tragic. The people who built it, the uh, the contractors, their sons uh, demolished it. It's like they're running the same firm. It's like what a waste. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and then you look at our extensive streetcar system, where by I believe the early '30s, yeah, um, we had about two, including the Northern Kentucky lines. Um, it was around 250, 260 miles worth of streetcar track across the city. Yeah, and. Then we decided to tear it all up in the fifties. The streetcars went on top of inclines, you know, it's just they, in the, the Mount Adams incline was what's its biggest tourist attraction and they couldn't manage to keep it. Uh, and if they built any of these things, all these different plants, we're going to have the streetcars go down into basically a streetcar hub underground is one of the thirties plans to kind of salvage it. If they did that because there's tunnels, that's the only thing. Every streetcar track was torn out in the country and turned into buses unless you had a tunnel. 
So, boy, if they had that tunnel in place, it probably would have saved a lot of the streetcars. Uh, but yes. yeah, yes. but and that would be really cool to have this underground streetcar tunnel. Uh, but anything yes, and would they be turned cool. into light rail, like Pittsburgh did, basically. Yeah, but yeah, in general, uh, Cincinnati has an empty subway under the ground, uh, not doing anything with it. Uh, and, but yeah, just jumping ahead to now, uh, in the news this week or in this last couple of weeks, uh, there was a announcement by the entire, you know, uh, council board, uh, you know, including the mayor who's just a councilman and as well as the board of trustees that they said, okay, good news. We're going to sell this thing. It's a done deal. Basically it's wild. Just tell, tell a bit more about how this just jumped out with like no warning. I had started paying attention to the railroad in 2021 when I was bored during like the third big wave in the pandemic. I was home. I was just like, okay, let me just see what's happening here. Um, my first red flag was I had to actually ask them to post the meeting minutes for 2020 and first part of 2021 because they weren't there at all. Yeah. Um, I had to contact a board clerk for that. So I had always been keeping, uh, in, in the loop with it. They hold these meetings at the Queen City Club, which is like the premier like private club in the city. They are public. They tell you where to go, but like the entire outside and going into it and finding your way to where the meetings are being held at yeah. is like the most turning off of the public possible because it's like you're going into a railroad baron's lair or something like that. All wood and everything. Everyone dressed up. You're just like, I don't belong here. Well, that's it. Well, where is the Queen City Club? Uh, it's right by the Great American Tower, actually. Uh, oh, interesting. Just across from a parking lot. And, and so, um, is there like, so if you show up, is, is is there like much of a hurdle? Like, well, what's what's your advice to the public? Because I want to go there now. If they so have another they, meeting, um, they have like they show you where the room number is. Okay. Um, so you have to find a room number yourself and everything. Yeah. Uh, where they're meeting at. So you have to go through the entrance and everything. You have to like go beyond the people that are probably there. I haven't been there personally, but someone someone told me they went, went by it and they were like, I am underdressed for this. I'm not going in. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, last time I went to the Cincinnati City Council, I wore a full suit, you know, just just to be safe. But like that's yeah, the thing too. Like Cincinnati is like this kind of weird, fuddy duddy, you know, town in some ways too. But I in, in a lot of ways, like if they announced this and said this will continue the legacy of the Smale Commission, it's like who who cares? The Smale Commission was this mid eighties, you know, kind of the local tycoon saying we need to fix our roads or something, and like I don't know, like Cincinnati can only think about like oh roads and highways and everything. They just have no real vision for basically how can the city remain relevant in the next you know decades and decades, and like I don't see any sort of the ambition it needs because that's so much potential that just stops looking backwards yes <laughs> and um so how i found about out about it was one of our uh, really good bus advocates cam hardy just oh, yeah. Hell yeah. happened to say oh i just saw on wwt that they're selling the railway and i was like like i looked at that tweet and i was like the cincinnati southern railway because i hadn't heard anything no one had heard anything at all. Yeah, like, people have said for years at, the lease is going to become an issue in 2026, right? They said that all the meeting minutes showed is they were renegotiating the uh, lease. Yeah. None of it popped out. I mean, in hindsight, it does pop out with you, but they weren't obvious enough popping outs for you to be like, oh, they're selling this thing. Yeah. It, it, it just looked at like 
the meeting minutes was just like, oh, uh, board entered executive session at 3.01 p.m. and exited at 4.59 p.m. Yeah. Meeting minutes of prior meeting were uh, approved. Meeting was adjourned. Like, that's yeah. what it looked like. They did all this in executive session. Um, the negotiations of Norfolk Southern, the uh, stipulations of how much the appraisals were. The one thing that does pop out with me in hindsight is they paid a law firm. Uh, I think this is the either the March or the June meeting. It showed that they had an invoice that they approved. And it was $533,000 for this law firm. Uh, to be doing all this work, which if I would have known, I would have looked at it and be like, that's suspicious because no board is spending that amount of money for something unless it's more than a lease free negotiation, basically. Yeah. Um, so, so all the meetings and everything come through and we don't know about it until they actually move the trustees meeting from that Friday or Thursday. It was either Thursday or Friday to the Monday because until WLWT reported on that, no one knew. Yeah. None of the media knew. No one. And it was like kind of crazy how that turned out. And the fact they have everyone on board, you know, there's been some really backdoor, you know, communication for a while. Like the, the new mayor, Aftab Perval, is like the first guy in ages who seems like he has any real ambition or hope of doing stuff good. And like, I I don't know what to make out of out of this. You know, it's... There's, I think, what really you say the secrecy is alarming, and it absolutely is. I would say the way they're announcing it too is extremely dishonest to me, because they are essentially saying it's not a sale; we get money forever. But here's the thing: like as it is now, they have a lease; it goes up, they renegotiate, they get new terms. If they have basically instead of the twenty-five million they have now, it's fifty million forever. Which it sounds like they get fifty million no matter what if it's a lease or a or a sale. You can translate any sum of money into an infinite sum of money. This is just you know standard financial manipulation. The fact that you turn it into an annuity doesn't mean it's not a sale. If you cannot renegotiate it in the future, you've lost your ownership. It is a sale, uh, and it, that's what really strikes me as like perhaps clever, but it seems like they're just lying to us about what's going on here. Yes. And like how it was first reported, like at first it looked like they were going to get that $1.6 billion over 30 years. And then you uh, actually looked at the announcement and they're like, oh, we're actually buying that full and we're making a trust fund. But that trust fund won't be touched in principle, but you'll be getting $25 million a year as a baseline. And they're saying, oh, the 50 to 60 is something that can happen. But if you look further and further into that, um, and when you include all the investment manager th- fees and stuff like that, um, when you include that, um, there's going to be bad years, especially lately. <laughs> yeah. It will probably be most of the years will be around 25 to $30 million that the city will receive and mm. they will keep the rest of it and try to grow it. But when you look at the environment that we find ourselves in the investment environment right now, like the typical city strategy or municipal safe strategy of like investing in bonds or doing a nice like 70% bond, 30% stock or whatever, trying to get a little bit of gains um, isn't going to work right now because bonds are chaotic in terms of their rates right now. And stocks are, I think, are heading for like a kind of like a flat decade, like the 70s, where they don't really go about and do much. So, They're pretty frothy right now. You might be buying yes. peak of market, you know. Um, it's it's how they announced it, like they had already sold it, and 
got everybody around to kind of say, well, if we don't do this, we'll have, we won't have infrastructure. Yeah. Um, that's what Cranley said. He said, we will have failing infrastructure if we don't do this sale. Um, well, with the, Cr- Cranley, ex-mayor, he, a huge opponent of the streetcar from the beginning. Just an absolute creep, you know? Just, I like, who tr- who would ever trust these people? Uh, but, I mean... Like, he, some of the other mayors I respected. Like, yeah. I respect Roxanne Qualls, so yeah. I was surprised to see her there. It doesn't surprise me that she was there, because, like, uh, she's, like, moved on to other things, and she was a part of the reason why Fort Washington Way was built how it was in the late 90s, because she kind of spearheaded that effort. But, um, like Cranley saying that didn't surprise me because, yeah. um, out of every, all the mayors, like, even if Pureval turns out to not be this transformative, whatever, how he's conducted his mayorship will always be better than Cranley's. Cranley's was just eight years of like stifling urbanist potential, stifling our growth and just kind of going to the nearest bidder and selling ourselves out for it. Yeah, and it's 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 worth mentioning that the we have you know a weak mayor system you know ever since the city manager the good government people come around in the twenties so they, they can't really I think one person can't procedurally do a lot it's really about their communication and the kind of movement building they they create we actually means- have a strong mayor system in 1999 it was weak like the top person who got the top votes was just voted mayor basically. After 1999, they put in reforms that said, oh, yeah, um, the mayor has a lot more strong powers. They can do vetoes and stuff like that. And that's how the mayor got separately elected from council and they got more powerful where they're still council manager, but they have a lot more of a say. And especially since Cranley's administration, the independence of the city manager was severely like cut off where it was just basically someone else, the person doing stuff for the mayor. Basically. Interesting. Okay. I, I clearly know a lot more about like ancient history. A lot of stuff has happened in my lifetime. I'm pretty, I, I obviously have some holes. That's interesting. It actually sp- explains a lot. Uh, but I mean, it's weird. They say they, they like kind of need money now for things. A normal way you do this, if you have a really good revenue stream, such as this renegotiated lease or even what, you know, have until it's renegotiated, you put bonds out on top of that and then you're good to go. You can do a lot of stuff. And I just don't understand, you know, why they have this desperation. Do they think they can't do a bond issue? I don't really understand. I don't understand it either. It's like the city has become kind of afraid to like do bond issues since I, I can't even think of the last time they had a seriously big one. Um, it's yeah. been a while. Yeah. Um, with uh, they have other options, like our income tax is at one point eight or one point nine percent right now. Yeah. Um, Columbus is at like two point six or two point seven percent, if I remember. Other cities are in the upper twos in Ohio, and are going just fine. We literally could. I mean, it would be unpopular, but I think they convince another enough people to be like, we have the lowest tax rate. Let's raise it by 05 percent, so we can remain completely solvent, have all our city services completely funded, while at the same time still remaining slightly lower than other Ohio cities. But they don't even go in about it and do it that way. Yeah, That's I think, what interests me. I think it's worth the federalism of the Cincinnati you know, government. Let's just like peel it back. You have Cincinnati City. Which I would say is all the good stuff for the most part is all Cincinnati City, you know, very few exceptions. Then you have Hamilton County, which, you know, by far 
is the best county in the greater county area, but has a lot of kind of crummy stuff around the edges of the county. I mean, I, I stay out of Anderson Township. It's kind of, it depresses me. I'd like you get to Maggot Country before too, too long. Uh, then you go out and then you have the regional government, the Board of Regional Governments of Ohio, Kentucky, and Indiana. And boy, some real dogs out there, you know. Yeah, like they've gerrymandered our state government and our federal districts. And like we finally just defeated Steve Schapp, the GOP guy. He got ungerrymandered barely enough for him to get squeezed out. Cincinnati, dark, dark, dark blue. But then you see all of Warren County, uh, which, you know, has Kings Island going for it, but everything else. And it was just bright red. Just like what an absolute parasite. That's what you're I guess that's what you're up against. And then you finally peel out the Ohio state government is basically Jim Crow South, you know? It is just an incredibly evil institution because it is controlled by the rural areas of Ohio, which I'll just say definitively are awful and beyond hope and redemption. It Like, they just want to strangle the cities. They're cutting local government funds. And I suppose, in some way, the city says, okay... We can't depend upon functional government anymore. We need to see our own way by essentially liquidating and just kind of, uh, I guess, just running at the clock. I don't know. That's, I mean, clearly they are up, up against a lot of awful, you know, obstacles as far as the state government goes. But I don't know. I mean, I think you say, you know, city income tax, they're probably afraid of Hamilton County. Could you do a county income tax? Well, then you have harder you have harder politics. I don't know. Well, what do you, what do you think about all these overlapping layers? So, city controls their income tax, but it's been facing a lot of pressure because Ohio made if you live, say, out in Warren County or something, um, and your workplace is in the city of Cincinnati, but you work remotely, you don't pay income tax to the city of Cincinnati. Mm. So that threat that they passed, they they passed that. Um, is something that's been looming large over all Ohio cities um, since they did that, where there's, you know, remote work isn't as big as everyone was thinking it would be like, say, six or eight months ago. But it is going to be a permanent like strain on cities budgets because of, I'd say about 20 or 30 percent of the populace will be permanently working remotely or at home, not going into the cities. They lose that income stream. Um, yep. completely because of what, how Ohio ruled on that. So you have Ohio, which, um, ironically, we have to push for the Ferguson Act to be changed. Um, so it can be used in how the city leaders and everybody said it should be. So they have to push for the Ferguson Act, which says that stipulates that if the railroad sold, um, all that money has to go for debt service. What the city is asking for is, you know, we're going for infrastructure. But if you look even parts behind what they consider existing infrastructure, it means roads, parks, uh, municipal buildings, which you can kind of get. But they also include like police officers, mm. parking structures mm. in those terms. And it just seems like if it like that kind of entrains like a little bit of they're going to kind of keep around what's already been kept around. They're not going to use that funding to fund any new transit improvements, which is desperately needed in uh, Cincinnati, Hamilton County. They have the new transit act, you know, tax that did reinventing Metro, which is going to do some good things for the bus system. But to truly be a good city, we need more than a really good bus system. It has to be a completely multimodal city. 
that's where we're going to be kind of falling short is we're just kind of looking at existing infrastructure, which does need funding, but just only looking at that and saying, that's it. That's interesting. Do you, if you had a guess, do you think the state legislature, if they have to change the Ferguson Act to say, oh, let them liquidate and put into investments and operations, not just debt service, do you think they would say, oh yeah, let's help the city liquidate its assets, or do you think they would be intransigent? Or I, I don't like you any way to guess. This is where it's going to get interesting. Bill Seitz, scumbag, who's in uh, like I live in his district, so I hate it. Yeah. Um who's like basically one of the most powerful Ohio Republicans sounded supportive mm. of the city's selling the railroad. But if you go to Tom Brinkman um, and Lewis blessing, both of them are vehemently opposed to selling the railway or anything like that. And those two are also decently influential in the house. Uh, I know, I think blessings in the Senate now, but I'm pretty sure Brinkman's in the house blessings about as powerful as sites. I would say, um, I think Brinkman's less power than powerful than Sites, but having conflicting uh, viewpoints even amongst like Cincinnati Republicans is interesting. And the board is genuinely worried about this because um, they are paying for a lobbyist. Interesting. To, <laughs> and uh, those are the Cincinnati GOP people for bill changes. Well, what's some freak on like Shelby County going to think or something? <laughs> like, just I don't know, like what their mind is going through, and like just like their entire ideology is about owning the libs. I don't know what they, what they think. It's like, oh yeah, the mayor of Cincinnati wants this. Let's not do it. I don't know what what to think, but it's like also this is just offhand. I mean, the state government, you know, is awful in, in Columbus, but you know, the executive. It's worth mentioning for people who don't know it. John Kasich who like in the federal spotlight was like oh what a good guy for not being a Trump Republican you know he like probably the I mean my mom is a school teacher he has had war against school teachers for for his entire political career awful person but he single-handedly just revoked the money just sent it back to not do the train between Cincinnati Columbus and Cleveland uh back in my mind I wonder could the Ferguson Act could, could that have been used for Cincinnati to say, hey, we're going to just, you know, own the cities are going to own it or something, you know, and like in like could the, and then get the feds to basically finance it directly to the cities. I don't know. That's I wonder if people are talking about this. time. It's interesting to think of what they could do uh, with that. I don't think they could have used the Ferguson Act because that would have opened it up for significant legal challenges that Republicans would absolutely have done at that time. Mm. Um, Kasich, it seemed like his first term went full Tea Party conservative. I don't like public transit or anything. I'm going to cut off funding to the cities. Ironically, in the second term, he went more moderate in terms of, oh, I'm going to expand Medicaid. Uh, I'm going to veto this like abortion law or whatever. He was such a weird governor in terms of his first term was just completely conservative. And his second one was like moderate. I remember he said like if he had, if he was king for a day, the one thing he would do is to ban faculty lounges at schools. <laughs> like what a freak, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And – it's weird. Uh, DeWine is actually facing that issue um, with the Amtrak expansion. He, I think he has enough political cover and clout now compared to 10 years ago of Kasich. Um, I think he might secretly go behind the scenes and say, hey, I want this railroad, unlike what Kasich would do. Yeah. Um, so I do see 3CD rail going forward, but it does have a challenge in the legislature because there still are some of those Republicans that are like, I don't like trains. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's that is the entire the entire GOP project is really about being against urbanity. So yeah, I mean I think just 
there is no hope of like even in the past you get people say okay sure this will help this will help the entire region i don't know anymore it seems like culture war is going to be dominant but i'll happily be just see otherwise i'll 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 give it a thumbs up i i'm very not you know optimistic uh yeah, question for you. I don't really understand. Oh, say OKI is, you know, that's the regional government, all the counties around Cincinnati. What real power does it have? It is it is it does it work with the feds to basically get all the correct grants and everything? Are they like the only way that the feds and the localities can work together on like infrastructure projects? Yes. Um so the city can go on its own if it wants to. It has done that in some past projects, like, say, with the Western Hills Viaduct, even though OKI has kind of supported that. Um, having, like, the, uh, like, OKI board say, hey, I want this project to be funded is a lot more powerful than just having one lone voice of a city saying, hey, I want this project to be done. Um, OKI has a lot of power in terms of transit planning, transit funding, and stuff like that. And how it's set up is terrible in yeah. my opinion um the city of cincinnati gets one vote yeah madeira gets one vote deerfield township gets one vote all the out any municipality or city um in the oki region gets one vote the Elmwood sorta, place gets one vote all these like tiny little places that's yes sorta doesn't get a vote tank right. doesn't get a vote None of the transit agencies get a vote on this. Um, they may send like special representatives to show up at the board, like say with the streetcar of Cincinnati, they have a representative there. Um, DOTE from city of Cincinnati has something there, but they don't have any voting powers. There's only one vote for the municipality. Yeah. Um, and I think it was set up in like the late sixties, early seventies. And it's genuinely problematic how it's set up because if you look at Cleveland, the city of Cleveland has like six votes on their planning commission um, compared to the outlying areas because that's how the population is set up in the region. Cincinnati, the city, still is like 15 percent of our region's population. It should have more than one vote on the board. Yeah. And you look at like land value and uh, like productivity. It is like, I mean, honestly, everything else is a parasite in the city core. Well, including like Newport and Covington are essentially part of you know Cincinnati, but like the real city areas, that's like that is the city. <laughs> but OKI, like, yeah, it was created in the 60s or whatever. Like it had a, a window where it could have done something. It almost created a like at Marta type system, like of Atlanta. And they in the just 70s. Yep. Yeah. And they like they almost had heavy rail in Cincinnati through all the corridors we know are best. You see, they're going to if they do BRT, it's going to be in these corridors and they just drag their feet. And then Tom Lucan, you know, just the, like the city government, just basically pander to car owners, you know, small business types and lost its chance forever. But like, yeah, OKR actually seemed to have ambition then, even though... Yeah, well, and they a- had ambition with Metro Moves in the late 90s and early 2000s. Oh, yeah, well. OK, OKI was behind that whole plan, right? Yeah, they yeah. were they were behind that plan. And then as soon as it got voted down overwhelmingly in Hamilton County, a lot of that part was due to racial elements being spewed by 700 WLW of uh, Bill Cunningham. Oh, Bill Cunningham, said, yeah. You don't want... You don't want Someone in downtown or over the Rhine riding a train over to Indian Hill, do you? That That's the argument they use. Um, and 700 WLW had way more clout back then. And it's, uh, the county overwhelmingly voted against it. Now, the city voted for it, but the outlying county 
overwhelmingly voted against it. I think Wyoming was like 80% no or yeah, whatever. I was it's all, like kind of saying my age or whatever. I was in high school at the time when that happened. I have no memory of that measure even happening. And like, I kind of wish, you know, that I could have like gone out there and like, I mean, I don't know like what one person could have done, but like, boy, like it's just like it was it's worth like it was such a hopeless time at that point. I mean, it was a great measure. <laughs> At the wrong political time. Yes, because the, the race riots. 2001 unrest yeah. in over the Rhine was drilled in everyone's heads. It basically, everyone thought city dangerous, suburbs safe. It took the city of Cincinnati, like I'd say, 10 years to recover that image, basically, or even get back to where it was before. Yeah, um, I mean, it's, it's and that's why it didn't pass. <laughs> no, it's it's really. I mean, I mean, I think we need to kind of like restrain ourselves to transportation issues and not really the overall kind of demographic and like kind of race racial uh, kind of dynamics of Cincinnati. But yeah, I mean, it's it's worth mentioning that the city has kind of gotten what it wants, which is the rapid gentrification over the Rhine and you know increasing like. And probably West End coming up, but like, you know, they kind of, it's, they can't even commit to the smart and feckless plan, which is to kind of displace communities, not have anything to do about it. And I'll say this, I am all for making areas, you know, work better, have less shootings and everything, but the city doesn't really care about displacement. It clearly is fine. Just basically, Hey, new people move in, old people move out. You're not seeing any increase in capacity. It's just basically a one for one replacement, but the city can't even do the evil thing. Right. Like it is still has its mind on like this, the suburbs It's like, okay, that's not only evil, but it's also stupid now. You know, I, I, I can't abide that. Okay. I just want to read this. Like just, uh, this is, you say like Metro moves was planned 20 years ago. It's 2050 plan. Just go to its website. Uh, this is the text. Automobiles reshaped our world in the 20th century. Autonomous vehicles will transform it in the 21st. OKI is planning accordingly, building, evolving technologies into our mission, knowing that smart cars, smart vans, trucks, buses, and semis will require smart infrastructure. And like, I just want to bash my head against a wall. <laughs> like, that is the dumbest copy I've heard in my life. Did you see that Mark Polinsky uh, quote from, I think it was a 2021 uh, story that said, people think we're stupid for loving cars. We have three highways that run through here. Why else? Why wouldn't we? Yeah. No. And he said the future in uh, transit is the airport and cars, not rail or public transit. Yeah. He thinks Uber is more futuristic for a public transit entity than actual public transit. It's worth mentioning because, like, for years and years, the GOP, but also a lot of Dems like Cranley, were geared up against having the only infrastructure project, you know, of any real scale for for transit, which is the streetcar, and try to kill it. it through various miracles. It actually ended up happening, and then, kind of through desperation, it had a bad fare structure from the beginning. They just made a free fares like Kansas City. And it is it is boomed since it, it it works as you'd anticipate, which is it's a downtown circulator, has a ton of ridership. It's one of the highest ridership systems in the U.S. now, and it has boomed uh, the value of of real estate nearby. So like, okay, this is this is land value capture one hundred and one. They like they have a lot of stuff that's not really correct, a lot of weird public private stuff that's just an absolute mess. But the large scale. It works. And also, it's kind of opened up the appetite for people who were always anti-bus to say, okay, you know, 
I, I've ridden this thing. It's pretty. It's pretty good now. So, where will it go from? Because OKI has no interest. It, it, you look at the 2050 uh, their portfolio, which I, I, as you're saying, this is non-binding. This is just visionary. Is that correct? But they have like yeah. these, these are our projects we want to see. Uh, it has no rail projects. Thirty five percent of everything is going to the two projects: the Brent Spence Bridge and the Western Hills Viaduct, which in my mind deserve like. Only the amount of money it takes to demolish them. You know, there is no future in pursuing these things. And yet that's, you know, almost a majority of the funding they want to see over our next three decades. Yeah. Um, the only real things they're looking at is bus rabbit transit. Um, and it's from what Metro and everybody said, they think that that's the only viable public transit, uh, way that we can go. It's now, before the streetcar was able to be successful, Cranley's behind-the-scenes plan was kind of working because they divorced the streetcar from Sorta in 2019 uh, to make it with the city instead of under the Sorta because Sorta got the transit tax funding in uh, 2020, yeah. and he didn't want a conservative talking point on 700WW saying, oh, choo-choo, we're giving all the funding to the streetcar or whatever. They weren't able to say that because, well, you know, it didn't go to the streetcar. Um, so... When they went free, um, there was a big debate. Cranley wanted to run it as a zombie train yes. for two years. Yes. No riders. It was going to be cost like $2.53 million um, and satisfy the requirements under the FTA grants, uh, but have no riders. And the entire rest of the council, including some surprisingly people like even like David Mann, was just like, no, that's not how we're going to do it. And he, he tried to veto it. You know, council wanting to have a free, fair system. Council overrided. It was one of his only overrides that he had. Um, council overrided against it. Even I think even a Republican, Betsy Sunderman, I think even she voted for it. Mm. Like, it just didn't make sense. I see the streetcar eventually expanding um, to West End. I think the next big debate is um, how we're going to do Uptown because there's going to be BRT corridors. There'll be some people that will argue that like having streetcar going up there with BRTs going up there is uh, like redundant or whatever. Well, um, and also just like stu- technical question, what's the maximum slope for a streetcar? Because like it can take nine percent in short grades. A light uh, a modern uh, modern streetcar can take nine percent in short grades. Can it go Vine Street? It, it could. It, the grade of Vine Street is around 6 to 7%, and that's around what the allowable max okay. grade is for a modern streetcar. But the concern becomes is winter um, with rails and everything and with mm. a 6 or 7% grade. Now, there is a hill that already goes up, which is the third street hill, but it's way less sustained than the Vine Street one is. And the concern would be having to treat that and everything, make sure it be safe. It would be a little bit more precarious during the winter. But yeah, that's the argument against that. I know there's, but the BRT like, and, and just the BRT. It's worth saying is in Vine Street. That's going to be Colerain and Reading. And what was the other one? The Westwood BRT, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, they they are looking at Vine, but I don't know if that'll be the first phase. Um, it seems like they're leaning towards Reading and Montgomery or like Glenway as a first phase. Um, instead of doing like the center. Yeah. So that'll leave the opportunity open to be like. Do you want to like work together with the city of Cincinnati to like say design BRT to go here and like interact and actually be intermodal with the streetcar so they can kind of both work with each other instead of against each other? 
And I think that's an opportunity for the city in the next few years is like, we shouldn't just look at both of those as silos. Like a streetcar can go where it goes and a, a BRT should, should go where it goes. And I, I don't think it's an either or like question, yeah. no, especially yeah. considering the funding structure, um, which sort of is directly doing the BRT. The streetcar would be done by the city of Cincinnati. So there would be no like, oh, this is going to be taking funding from this or this is going to be taking funding from this. Um, it wouldn't really be like that. But like that's kind of like where we're at right now. Um transit-wise? Like, very, very, like, large-scale, I would say the city, has, if nothing else, like, the whole, like, 20th century has been something where cities could go it on their own, as we've seen with these projects, and then suddenly the federal funds opened up wide for highways, you know, roadways, whatever, and a brief period in the 70s, you saw a little bit for public transit projects, and that was pulled back. I and we, we need that this decade. No, and that's the thing. I think, honestly, it isn't... I think young people liking rail is a thing which is not going anywhere and i think we are going to see that those those open up so the city it's going to take a few years probably but i think they should get ready so just to say like what is the ideal project for how it like if it just had 90 percent federal funding what should it be doing because i have a few answers but i'm curious what you think brt system along the arterials yeah um light rail system a lot in the subway where it's at um, you probably, I think the subway is getting expensive to the point, um, that you'd have to make that above ground after the tubes that are already there. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. so have it running above ground, have a, I think the number one priority other than like doing BRTs on arterials and starting a light rail system and then extending the streetcar in like the urban basin, maybe up to uptown would be a light rail line from downtown to, uh, the airport because how it's set up right now. They only have a tank bus and only it's, having a tank bus makes it really unreliable considering how hellish the traffic is on Cutting Hill um, during rush hour. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I take it on the way back from the airport when I'm in like when I get into town, but I don't take it in the way there because I would not risk missing my flight. Uh, so if someone's willing to drive me there, I'll, I'll take that every time. Whereas like, oh, yeah, the bus on the way back. It's a good bus, you know, but I think. It is, yeah, it's when you have headways that can be up to half an hour or an hour, and, you know, who knows what happens I in, in a connection downtown. Yeah, you have to build in a lot of buffer, and that's not really serious in a modern way. Uh, well, when you say it goes above ground, the subway, what like, okay, so it goes up, it's going to hit basically north side. Was it going to make a turn like it did, or do you think, what, what should it do next? So if we're going to think about um, that, I think it should hit north side. So it would, it would remain below ground through the original tunnel. Now the Hopple Street tunnel is a question for another day because they're still debating whether they're going to fill it or not. That's a separate tunnel that's like a half mile or whatever that they built and that's still there. Yeah. Um, but making that above ground after it emerges there and like having it run through Camp Washington and then, uh, up, up the north side, yeah. I think would be a great line. But and you don't think you should end there? Is that's a that'd be a modest line? I think it's a good line. That's a really solid backbone. But uh, just a north side to downtown connector because the north side's kind of the funky, nice, kind of dense, you know, place. That was like the only real downtown core before like gentrification hit over the Rhine uh, that worked. But uh, I mean, I'd say very, very big. You're talking about light rail, heavy rail really should be in the cards if you're being serious, serious, serious about a lot of money coming in. And if you're having heavy, heavy rail, it should connect 
basically the biggest employment center outside of downtown, which is the Clifton Hill, uh, UC, the hospital, and everything else. And I think there's, if you're heavy rail, 2% grade, if you're staying below that, you have to go under the hill, you know? So I, I hate deep stations, but you're going to have to deal with it if it's Clifton. So basically, I mean, I think people are saying this, drill it through the hill, drop a couple stations, you know, campus, Clifton, you know, and then kind of pop out at the other side of the hill, maybe at north side or maybe to the east. We'll figure it out. And then you have a lot of possibilities because now you're at the Mill Creek and a lot of stuff can happen. But I don't know. I, I would at least dream big about that's the perfect project I want to see. But we, we'll, we'll see. We'll see about that. My perfect project would be if we were going to like think about doing the tunnel and everything would be light rail to the airport goes across the bridge and it splits off into two lines, one going up to at least north side. We could decide like later on if like other people would want it outside of the city or whatever. Mount Airy wants it, if College Hill wants it or whatever, and have the other branch go up um, through over the Rhine or like Eastern over the Rhine in Pendleton and then uh, be in a tunnel underneath Clifton up to like, I say, around MLK or yeah, whatever. Okay. And then have it emerge and go elsewhere. Kind of had those two branches and everything. I think that would see a lot of ridership. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's worth mentioning, too, like if you're using the tunnel, it only goes through Central. They didn't build it down. You know, they're going to build it down to Fountain Square and Walnut. And they didn't. I mean, boy, that'd be nice to have that. Because I think if that existed, it would have been salvaged because like that is just too good of something to have a tunnel right under that. I mean, use what you can. But OK, uh, let's just before we kind of like I want to maybe pick your brain for like devil's advocate. A lot of people say, OK. You know, the city, is it wrong for them not to want to diversify their portfolio? Instead of having one railway, the you know, Cincinnati Southern, they could put in a bunch of investment projects. Uh, so what is the worth of that saying, oh, who knows what the future of, of rail transport is? You know, what if this all went down? Uh, what, 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 what would you say? I think that was disingenuous when uh, Aft had mentioned it in one of the interviews where he said, well, we don't know 30 years from now, freight rail will still be the thing. Big technology that would be earth shattering kind of takes that long to even emerge. And I don't see anything whatsoever that's feasible that could replace rail as the premier uh, transport of goods across the country other than trucking and trucking is becoming more and more of a bottleneck. Yeah. Like, and especially with climate change and carbon neutral. I don't see any more efficient way of doing freight rail. Now, people will argue, oh, um, this is going to be like great. We can diversify our assets and everything like that. It sounds like what the city wants to do is diversify the assets, but also like take out from the trust fund every year. And the board of directors would decide how much they would take out, and then they would like keep the rest of it or whatever. Yeah, they're going to um, eat the seed corn. Like they 100% are going to just squander this. Yes. And that's my worry is they say they're not going to touch the principal, but I don't see how they're going to look at that pot of money or whatever and be like, nope, we ain't going to touch that. It is so nice. If they have to sell it now, they have to put up a vote. But if they find a way that they can eat the principal without having the public vote on it, they're going to eat the entire principal. (laughs) Yes. And it it looks like it's weird. Norfolk Southern is going to pay for the lobbying uh, for the vote of the issue. The board themselves can't pay for the ballot issue because that would be against city of Cincinnati ethics laws. But they can apparently, like, this is where it gets confusing. They can apparently pay for a lobbyist up to change the law in Columbus. But if you look at the laws, it leaves it really vague of where they can go. 
But to go back to like the diversified asset, Warren Buffett bought a huge stake in a railroad like 10 years ago. Yeah. And he just this year said that that railway will be our our biggest seed corn and egg of our uh, company that we have for the next hundred years. He made that bet. Yeah. And it has provided them with substantial income. Why would we sell it for $1.6 billion when uh, that gets rid of our bond facility uh, that we can use with the railway? Yeah. We can use the railway and its perpetual support and everything to get bond agencies to be like, okay, yeah, we'll give you a nice little lower interest rate bond. If you have, instead of a hard asset, you just have a trust fund that you're using to support a bond issue – I don't think they're going to look at that as favorably. Oh, absolutely. That's on serious. Absolutely. Okay. We say, oh, we've seen other railroads, you know, stop existing. Like they turn into, you know, abandoned, you know, and then they turn into rails and trails like the Loveland Bike Trail and all this. But here's the thing. That's not a good path. If you look at the entire system, the bottleneck between Cincinnati and Chattanooga is like the like there is a duopoly here so there actually is a parallel CSX line uh, I believe not too far away but that that is the overall thing about rail right now there is a steady state duopoly which is allowed through various large scale mergers it will not get worse than this there's no chance they're going to go to the CSX line which is worse and then abandon this line. This is going to continue to be a bottleneck. And I'll say this, when a proper amount of work is done to make sure there is not this steady state duopoly, which they're essentially colluding to kind of perhaps keep leases down than they flow than they should be, this is only going to go up. It's like, a, there's no way around this. It is- the- Passenger rail coming back into the Vogue. If the city of Cincinnati gets rid of a right-of-way, they could essentially tell Norfolk Southern, hey, we want to uh, have Amtrak to have the opportunity to use these rail lines. Norfolk Southern would never do that if they owned a let rail line themselves, yeah. ever. They wouldn't allow that. You so, would see what happened in New Orleans where they just recently, like uh, I, I think it was CSX, um, I'm pretty sure, just lost the battle there. But that took four to five years for that to happen. Yeah, what a mess. And um, that, that rail line was way less traffic than the Cincinnati Southern Railway is. I think as soon as you get rid of that, we would have we wouldn't have there would be no opportunity to have a passenger rail from the Midwest to the South that's feasible because if you look at the Amtrak Connects map, you can see a big hole from the Mississippi River all the way to east of the Appalachians. There is no rail line that goes from the Midwest South yeah. um, in their plan. There's one along the Mississippi River, but that's it. It's a, it would fill a huge hole in Amtrak system that they were allowed to use passenger rail on there. And 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 because of all these but I, I think it's in the cards. It's likely at some point you're going to see nationalization of all the class 1 right away. You know, that seems I I would bet for it to be honest. And there's going to be a a big payday for the people owning it. You know, I mean maybe this since they will continue owning it or maybe it'll go to the feds. Either way, if they let Norfolk Southern own it and then see it's like 1.6, they're going to get a multiple of that and it's going to make us realize just how short-termist and all this all uh, what a mess uh one final like i guess devil's advocate is people say okay you know if you're talking about city assets if it's in the city of course they should own more city land this is down this is this is peripheral this isn't really in the core city like 
you know, just like what would be your reason to say this isn't just some random asset? What like is there a reason that the city of Cincinnati should own this strip of land down to Chattanooga? There's no other city that owns an interstate railroad. Yeah, like in the country, no other city was able to use um, the investment that made they made a long while ago. Keep a hold of it. And use it to they use the railway to make a large part of the city that we have today. Like a lot of stuff was funded by having a railroad uh, in our city, and it has allowed our fiscal health, even though it is looking slightly more precarious at the moment compared to other Midwest cities. Our fiscal health is pretty good, and that's no accident. It's a large part because of the railroad. You get rid of that asset, um, you might have a trust fund and. That trust fund might run out if you don't make a good investment. They try and eat away at the principal too quickly. If the city kind of squanders it uh, because they need desperate funding for something, instead of uh, like relying on a steady, never going to really go away asset, relying on a trust fund, it becomes more precarious. And that's why I think like owning this railroad, like heck, even if if Norfolk Southern does want to play a ball game here. Open up the bids. Yeah. Like, because the one. Because there's the thing CSX can't own it both, and then they they probably get, like, you know, slapped for Monopoly, which is good. You you have a captive audience, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And we still don't even know how much it's worth. They've gotten three or four appraisals, the board. They never released them. They never told us what those appraisals were, just to only say, take our word for it. We got a good deal. Yeah. After all their actions, like, it's like, there was some stuff where I'd be like, okay, I give you the benefit of the doubt a little bit. It's the suddenness of coming out and be like, this is what we're going to do. After going through all this backroom yeah. stuff for a year and a half, that makes me not give them the benefit of the doubt. Now, I'm waiting for a public records request uh, that I made that said, hey, all communication between Norfolk Southern board, board members, how much they're paying for the lobbyists, the law stuff, like all this, how much the board's paid for that. That we didn't know about uh, until the minutes and everything. Like that—that's what I find remarkable. Sorry for going on a rant, but no, absolutely, um, that's what you're for. <laughs> like, it, I find it remarkable that um, you didn't find out any of the dates that they were, uh, or any of the details behind this transaction and its process until you looked at the resolution that the board voted on. And the board voted on that. Like you look at the resolution, it says, "Oh yeah, we got our first offer in July of 2021 from Norfolk Southern." We got the $1.6 billion offer in April 2022 uh, from Norfolk Southern, and we signed a memorandum of understanding in June 2022. None of those appeared in the board meeting minutes whatsoever. Yeah. Any of it. That's shady. Um, <laughs> I would say offhand, nice job with your getting your you know requests of information, which the city is dragging its feet on. Like You, you were getting stuff about the whole retrofit of, of the subway, and it took them how many years? Um, the retrofit of the, no, no, they were very quick with giving that, oh. but they don't have that plan posted on the website at all. Gotcha. So yeah. I had to actually think about, oh, what plan was this? I had to actually make the request to get that PDF done. They did that in 2007, but they never really put that plan out to the public. Um, they just said it in like a city council. Oh, this is how much it will cost. This is how much they said it will cost here. 
Um, but they didn't like put the full PDF out there, basically. Gotcha. Okay. I thought you said something about it, it took them a while. But okay, it's good to hear the service is quick when you request stuff. So that's well keep, This keep... request though has uh been pending, I think, for a week now from okay. the Southern Railway. I still haven't gotten anything yet. That's funny. I mean I would say all the reasons you said, I mean, I think just in general, it's incredible how like governments in in general will sell off because the first 25 years of something is the bulk of the value in present value. And then if you sell off years 26 through 50, worth far less. And then like past 100 years, it's essentially worth nothing. And yet cities, I, I don't think a 99-year lease is appropriate. I think it's too long, but it is better than a perpetual sale. And it's just insane that like cities don't do that as a default in governments do this default but one more reason why i think this is just not a asset but it's it serves a great purpose i, I just think this is, is interesting is i think it is money going to cincinnati by colonizing the south which i think is a good thing this is what people said when this was built back you know proposed back in the you know 1860s 1870s uh the railroad is a bad thing for louisville there's a guy, there's a guy in louisville saying this and he says grass will not will certainly not grow in the streets of Cincinnati in our day. The merchants of Cincinnati, the railroad men of Cincinnati, are a thoroughly live and ingenious set of Yankee plotters, proposed to swarm on the southern country like ducks upon June bugs. Which I, I think is fantastic, you know, because that's, yeah, I mean, absolutely. That's, that, I mean, Cincinnati, people say, oh, Cincinnati's a southern city. It's not, but it is, it, it does colonize the south, which is good. That's, that's my, that's yeah. my case. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, I don't know, but... Uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff. I, I would like stuff I I didn't I didn't get to mention. Like it's just like the, the state level stuff just getting down our neck. The subway got stopped because the Supreme Court stopped the city from doing a lease. You know, it had a lease and they slapped on the wrist and you couldn't. Ex- this is too close to extending credit to a to a private corporation. It's like, wow. I I just I, the, the state government. I don't know. It's like I, I think the cities need to secede. There needs to be. The good cities of the Midwest need to get out of the state governments of the Midwest, or at least our state government. Because I, I, do, do you have hope that there, that what what is the most hopeful path for getting out of the stranglehold of, of of rural Ohio? I think for one thing, rank choice voting. I think for another, um, Ohio cities do not have home class rule. Yes, um, whatsoever. When almost many of the other uh, cities around the country do. Um, I think we need that. Which that was which was explicitly easier. to punish you know, the Georgist mayor of Cleveland, Tom Tom L. Johnson. Correct. I, I believe that's the that's the history. But yes, yeah. yes. I mean, we didn't I talk about like it. municipal land acquisition through land value tax. It's very hard in Ohio for these reasons, and it's bad. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. It, it, it's 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 really hard for a city to go out and do something. So another argument for the Cincinnati Southern Railway, the fact that we were able to do that despite the uh, Ohio legislator, and we're just going to get rid of it after all the effort that we did to have something that if you tried to build that today would be so much more expensive, would never be allowed by the state whatsoever by a city to do that. Like that's another argument for it. <laughs> yeah. And absolutely. I mean, I, I, and one, one final, what, what do you think the chances are that Cincinnati could annex all the kind of garbage, you know, suburbs and just kind of at least, I don't know if it's really worth the investment as much as it would make sure you can't really escape so easily <laughs> just and just do a lot of like kind of income tax arbitrage. I don't, I don't yes. know. Like, cause it, 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 it sucked up everything, almost everything in its commute shed back in the day and then just gave up. I don't know. It was, um, it, it's so weird looking at Cincinnati 
um, and some of the municipalities that surround it. And you look at, say, like Columbia Township, that should not exist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but from how it's set up, it's just like plot of land here, plot of land here, plot of land here. And it's not continuous. It's yeah. like in separate plots around the county shouldn't exist. I think if they try, I think they could find favorability if they try to, because like some of the cities are facing genuine debt issues. Um, yeah, Cincinnati is facing one, but um, I don't think us acquiring the cities uh, or like putting that on our balance sheet or whatever would be too detrimental compared to like, let's just talk about the demographic game. Like, yeah, it's weird that Cincinnati uh, has 309,000 people, but there's so many like there's Norwood, which is about 20,000. There's St. Bernard, which is about um, I think it's I, I think it's seven Six thousand. I'm, I'm gonna double check myself. And so it's worth mentioning. Like Norwood was created as a sun, sunset town. You know, is just. Yep. Yeah, I mean, Until like, the 80s. Yeah, I mean, the entire structure of Cincinnati is all about racial segregation, and it is. Cheviot was set up the same way as well. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like Norwood is right in the heart of things, which is so 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 nuts. But yeah, there's there's an opportunity for us to like remove this baggage if it wants to. But yeah, what, what's the number there? Uh, the number is 46, 4,300. That's way smaller than I was thinking it would be um, for St. Bernard. And what place has around, I think, 2,000 to 1,500? <laughs> um, North College Hill has like nine or 10,000. And I think Dolph Manor has like 900. Um, but if you annex all of that and like say like Fairfax, Marymount would never, but Fairfax, uh, which has about, I think, like 1,000 or 2,000, like all that would add up to Cincinnati, like, Sorry, it's the Louisville effect, but, you know, people do still care about city population, unfortunately. Yeah, the <laughs> so, Jacksonville effect. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. But, uh, I mean, but that's the thing. Like, you talk about, okay, that is, will they agree to it? But, I mean, yeah, throw Marymount in, throw Wyoming, Glendale, throw in all this stuff. I mean, actually, I would say don't do Indian Hill because I, I think that's just, just you know, depopulated. They would never. Do, they would never. Well, even if you had unilateral annexation, I'd say don't take it. I think just, like, turn into a park. Just, you know, burn down anyone's house there. Uh, but... No, I mean, like, I, unilateral annexation, I think, is the only way forward for a lot of things. I don't know. I, I think it's like you're not going to move forward with the cities where you have to ask for permission to take them over. Just, you know, leverage buyout. You know, that's what we need. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, but, okay, that's been a very top down, like a very top level transportation in Cincinnati, a lot left on the. But, yeah, I, I think that that's that that's what I want to cover. Any, any other final thoughts you want to kind of uh, before you get off here? I mean, Cincinnati, um, I think it's in a better position compared to other Midwest cities, despite like how weird our city politics is and everything. Like if you look at the cities in the Midwest, we're one of the only major cities that is actually gaining population, like in the city core. Yeah. Um, I think it's like what Minneapolis, Indianapolis, Columbus, um, Ann Arbor, and like that's it. Yeah, I mean, things are primarily a college town. Cincinnati has a big, I mean, UC is a big college, you know. And UC is absolutely exploding in growth right now. But, you know, so Cincinnati isn't just a college town. It has, you know, it has a lot going for it. And it can have a lot more if it actually is smart about these things. But Yes, yes. So I'm kind of hopeful with that. Um, I just think that the city needs to be run better. There needs to be kind of a return of... Graft? I guess good government. <laughs> oh, I'd say the opposite. We need bad government. We need like the, the thing is like Cincinnati. Like as far as uh, like just open corruption it was only like a couple years ago. City council people were just caught texting. It's like 
well, how about we do crimes and, and how about we hold up this like development? And that's the thing, like they're doing open corruption, but they're like blocking building stuff. It's like do corruption for good stuff. Don't do corruption just to block stuff. I don't know. Like be like Boss Cox, build the subway because you want to like give a gravy train to all your friends, but you build a subway in a good thing for everyone absolutely yeah that's 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 the dream but yeah i'd say maybe some parts of good government but then also yeah it's a, you need the you need a, a, a political machine but you know well cool i think we're gonna get off here but uh, thanks thanks for making the time for for being here it's been a lot of fun of course of course uh glad to be on here we have been talking to josh junker about Cincinnati transportation you can find the show notes i posted a bibliography about the top books about cincinnati transportation that's at the website seethecat.org. This is a presentation of Keys Issue, Stanford. <laughs>